Welcome to the Green Lectionary Podcast, a production of Creation Justice Ministries. The Green Lectionary is a conversation on scripture through the lens of creation justice. My name is Derek Weston, and today we will be looking at a text for the fourth Sunday in March. For this episode, I'm joined by Ellen Davis, Professor of Bible and Practical Theology at Duke Divinity School, Jerusha Neal, Professor of Homiletics at Duke Divinity School, and Mark Biddle, Dean of Faculty at Sophia Seminary. Before we begin our episode, a quick plug for one of Creation Justice Ministry's other programs, Blue Theology. Blue Theology is a place where current science and marine biology meets a theology of creation justice. Each summer, we host youth groups to engage in experiential learning, service projects, and contemplative practice with God's marine creation. We have outposts in North Carolina, Newport Beach, California, and Texas City, Texas, and registration is open now. To learn more, go to www.bluetheology.com. And our text for today, um, for the fourth, for the fourth Sunday in Lent, is no, Numbers twenty-one verses four to nine. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. Whenever a serpent bit someone, that person look, would look at the serpent of bronze and live. And so I ask, where is creation in this passage? It's in the snakes, uh, Derek. It's in the snakes. Uh, I, I, I am, yeah. This is a hard passage, but here we go. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. Wait, so this this question about the mystery of causality like rears its head in this passage um but one of the things that i think this um, plague of snakes seraphs speaks to me of is this ambivalence of natural disaster when i think about climate and i think about creation and I think about the ways in which sometimes the very things brought about by our sin are the things that open our eyes to a new way of being in the world. And so, again, I would say creation is, um, in some ways, this, this reckoning in the passage through the snake um, with a, a deep misunderstanding of what it means to be um, part of this created order. I'll start there. There's a lot more to say, but I'll start there. And maybe I'd start by saying that um, in a sense, creation is first to be observed by its absence in the people's, in the people's perception. If we speak of acts of God, um, 
the first thing that we hear is that Moses made them leave, leave Egypt um, and that there's no bread and there's water and the food is despicable. That's the word they use. There's no food and it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> they sound oh. like teenagers. So. <laughs> um, serpent is a pretty um, loaded translation. It's not a bad one, um, but um, these are snakes. Mm -hmm. um, it's the garden variety, you know, from one perspective, it's the, it is the word for a garden variety snake, which is exactly what God, I guess, will tell them in Deuteronomy that they're going to encounter in the great and terrible wilderness. Hmm. Um, it goes with the territory, you might say, um, mm. burning snakes. So it's the it's an image with lots and lots of levels to it, ranging from ancient Near East Egyptian mythology to Genesis to the heavenly court in Isaiah to Deuteronomy. Um, and they are natural elements and they are supernatural elements. I, I mean it it draws to mind, um, you know, at Creation Justice Ministries, so much of our work is pointing people to, uh, like, just even if you go on our website, you'll see so many beautiful vistas, you'll see the shoreline, and you'll see the forests, and you'll see all sorts of just grand visions of creation. And creation also includes snakes. No, 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 no. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. I, I think that this is, you know, Mark, you, you said it very simply, but like creation, creation includes snakes. Creation includes a whole lot of things that also are deserving of our protection. Yeah, the, 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 uh, that observation in Jerusha is about causality. Uh, takes me immediately to the uh, to the God's responses to Job. Uh, the the uh, wisdom. Um, I got a conversation with my daughter uh, recently, who was puzzling over. And what I think I said something about uh, something to the effect that some natural catastrophe that I wouldn't describe it as a tragedy because uh, that in tragedy has ethical components. And there's nothing ethical about a, or unethical about a tornado or a hurricane. And, and I think we, we think about, uh, when we think about God's good creation, we do tend to think about the, the fluffy kittens and not the, not the mighty tigers, you know. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, William Blake and he in his pair, Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience. He pairs Little Lamb Who Made the uh, with Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright. And, and I, I just, uh, you know, there's, uh, God says in Job, have you considered Behemoth and Leviathan? I made them too. Uh, I didn't just make the little lambs. Um, so I, I think part of what that reveals to me in this story is this 
sort of reorientation that sometimes the things that um, may kill you can also give life. I mean, this sort of, there's this um, uh, breaking of this binary that we can sort of choose the parts of this web that we're connected to and reject the other. I mean, there, there's a kind of um, creationist teaching something deep here about, um, well, ultimately, um, if, if Jesus's words are, are listened to in John, something even deep about God, that there is something that fearful about this God and yet redeeming mm -hmm. about this God. Mm -hmm. and, and you don't get the one without the other. I mean, there's some, there's something, there's some deep truth there mm -hmm. that I think creation is bringing to the surface. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm curious, Ellen, maybe you can speak to this briefly. I, I'm interested in this word impatient. The people mm -hmm. were impatient. Mm -hmm. um, the, Ellen, the closest you could get in English is short-tempered. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, their, their being, their nephesh was short, is what it says. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, this is... This is their seventh rebellion against God in the mm. wilderness. And as mm. you know, seven is a number of completion. So the people have had it, and God's had it too. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And the last time, you know, maybe we're thinking about the fact that the last time God sent out snakes was in Pharaoh's court. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, when Moses throws down, his, mm -hmm. it's a different word, um, but uh, it's a similar phenomenon. And ultimately, so they are, they're a symbol of God's power. Um, and, um, and power to defeat opposition, as they are in Pharaoh's court, and as they are here. Mm -hmm whether the opposition comes from Pharaoh or whether it comes from the people that God has brought out of Egypt. So that brings us to our next question. Um, where, uh, where's God calling, how's God calling us to interact with creation in this passage? Um, and I feel like that gets a whole lot messier. <laughs> well, I mean, you could start with being appreciative of what you have. Mm. Um, uh, that wouldn't be bad. Uh, this this no good food, whatever. Yeah. Um, Maybe we could speak a little bit about seeing accurately, seeing yeah. and speaking yeah. accurately. Yeah. Because the people don't speak accurately. Mm -hmm. um, God. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? Yeah. No food, no water. And okay, there's food, but it's disgusting. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that is to say the least a tendentious representation of uh, the facts. And then interestingly, you know, when after they've been bitten by these fiery creatures, which 
in Deuteronomy probably means that their bite burns, their venom mm -hmm. burns. Mm -hmm. um, but after one has been bitten, then you have to look at it. Mm -hmm. yeah. You yeah. have to see. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in the seeing comes some kind of healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what struck me too, Ellen, that um, you know, the response to the prayer is not that God takes away the threat. I mean, they say, take away the snakes. And actually, God doesn't take away the snakes. God says, no, no, you need to confront <laughs> mm -hmm. the part. Well, you need to see accurately in your words. But but mm -hmm. I also think part of what that means is you need to confront the part of yourself that is seen. Inherently. You need to face it. And and the healing is going to come through that. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, I, I mean, I... I've told this story in, in some context before, but it, it came to me so strong in relation to this, this passage. Um, so uh, some of my, my deep relationships over years have been with communities in the South Pacific that are facing relocation because of rising tides and, and also increasingly fierce storms. And um, one of the things that's very challenging for me as someone from the West who is insulated from a lot of these concerns. We have them here, but you know, I have structures that help me mediate those things. Um, is the way, the, the way in which there is fluidity about um, the question of, of God's agency in some of this stuff. Um, and, and, and in relation to human culpability, and and I and that's just hard for me. Um, though when I step back and I move it out of a kind of atomized framework, of course, many of these storms are the result of human culpability, just not this particular village. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the the result of nations across the ocean, across the sea, et cetera. Um, one of the really powerful witnesses to me was of a, a pastor who had uh, decided that his community was going to fast and pray in relation to the rising tides. Mm -hmm. And I assumed that I knew what his prayer was going to be. I assumed that he was praying something similar to the, the people of Israel, you know, take the storms away, make the, make the water go backwards. Um, Interestingly, that wasn't his prayer. His prayer was, no, my, our, our prayer when we fast and pray in relation to the rising tides is who is God and what is the purpose of our lives? In mm. other words, this community in response to the crisis mm. was, was asking, what are we not seeing? And how do we see more clearly? How do we better understand who God is in this situation? And how do we better understand what we're being called to? That was really humbling to me. Because I don't know that that communities on this side of the Pacific ask those questions uh, nearly as deeply, or certainly with the kind of urgency that that this community was. And yet, when I read this biblical text, I feel like that's the kind of inquiry God is calling them to. Reckon with who God is, and reckon with the purpose of this journey. What is it you've been called to? That makes for me that. Uh, sort of strengthens the connection that's already there with Isaiah 6, uh, mm. the seraphim. Uh, I, I always 
wanted to know what Isaiah meant when he said, I'm a person of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. The idea being he, he he's, I think he's saying that I have said, I have spoken about God. Uh, now that I've seen God high lifted up, I have to confess that I have spoken about God in ways that were not accurate. Mm. Uh, and that the people I live among have also. Mm. Uh, and also, I, I always have fun when I teach that text with my students. Uh, the procedure then to, to cleanse Isaiah's lips is for this burner, the seraph, to take a coal from the altar and touch it to Isaiah's lips, burning the sin off, suppose, uh, I imagine, mm. which, which had to hurt, <laughs> you know. Mm. Uh, and uh, there's this, uh, uh, yeah, for me, there's this uh, in that text. And now that I've put that together with what you've said and the text in front of us, uh, there is a sense in which there's going to be some pain in coming to truth, I suppose, uh, when you're so, when you're so, uh, far from the truth or so entrenched or so ignorant. I don't know. Yeah, Mark, it speaks to me a little bit about what what hope might look like and the ambiguity of it, that the hope is not that God just takes away the destruction that we've done to the planet, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that perhaps the hope is that we actually see it. And mm -hmm. in, it's, in seeing it, we face ourselves mm -hmm. and we face this God and God's call mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. Which is going to be a call to change. Uh, change our behavior. Uh, Isaiah changed his speech. We we would need to change our behavior. I think the connection with Isaiah six is perceptive, and in the previous chapter, in chapter five, verse sixteen of Isaiah, the prophet says, "The Lord of hosts is high in judgment." Mm high in judgment and in the passage in john um in which this is cited when god says when i'm lifted up i will draw all things to myself but and jesus is talking about judgment now is the judgment of this world now the ruler of this world will, will be driven out mm. um in the context of Torah, God has already triumphed over Pharaoh mm. and the snakes being a reminder of that. And now God is um, executing judgment on God's own people mm. um, for their failing and offering them a way out. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm John 12, 33, when I'm lifted up in judgment, I will draw all to myself. It's an image. It's the two faces of judgment and salvation. Mm -hmm. Which I think it's very hard for Christians, for modern North American Protestant Christians to hold those two things together. Yeah, yes, it is. Yes, it is. I do think that climate for a certain kind of population that, that is beginning to reckon with the seriousness of it, um, it, it actually is giving that kind of two faces of creation, that theo or two faces of judgment and salvation, that theological depth, um, it can in, in certain communities. I, I feel like, um, 
when you asked Derek, what does this mean for our relationship with creation? I think for some communities, it means attending to the grief, attending to the loss, attending to the pain. I mean, to not look away and, and to see in the looking um, and in the pain of that looking, um, the, the sort of formative, well, reformation of a heart um, and, and of a community. There's a, your, what you just said reminded me, there's a film that was released mm, a year or two ago called Don't Look Up. And it's about the climate. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an allegory right. for the climate crisis, but it's about a meteor coming to earth that's going to destroy the earth. And, and the, um, the media, you know, sort of the, the parody of the right-wing media is just saying the answer is just don't look up, yeah. you know, if, if the, right. the whole idea that will, that's right. and, and this text is literally telling the people, look up, look, look up. <laughs> that's right. look what a up great connection. The, that's you know, right. Look up at the thing that's, 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 um, harming you and look at the, the thing look at the relationship between you and the thing that's harming you I, I i couldn't i couldn't help but think about that um and may i add that. one other thing that i think is important Please. to you um look up and keep going forward mm-hmm. um because after this passage that we're talking about which ends at verse nine well and everyone who gazes upon the copper snake um will live and then immediately and the israelites traveled on yeah Mm, mm. um so Mm. it's it seems to me that anyone who is bitten is called to do three things to consider god's judgment um to trust in god's power um as asserted against pharaoh uh, but also to god's power to sustain in the wilderness uh, with this manna that they have despised and then to commit to keep going on this precarious journey that's so good. It uh, th- there's something, um, you know, this the anthropological kind of insight of this passage. I know we're we're sort of thinking about creation broader than the human, um, but I find that very compelling and relevant in relation to the climate crisis. This sort of sense of the length of the journey. Um, they've just been sort of two losses of leaders, right? In the in the chapter before, um, Miriam and Aaron are, have passed, and um, you're, you're. It feels like you're taking steps backwards in terms of the geography, mm-hmm. and um, and it is precisely there where this simple food that is meant to be shared, um, not luxurious. It is meant to be enough for everyone, but also simple for everyone, becomes abhorrent. Like we just we can't do it anymore. And mm-hmm. and I think there's something very honest about the breakdown of will and um the 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 discouragement that comes at this mm-hmm. moment that turns into um 
shortness of temper. Mm-hmm. And, and I, um, I, I find it a, a deeply wise passage in terms of what do you do as a community when you're at that place in the fight, when you're mm-hmm. at that place in the struggle? What, what, what kind of reorientation is required for health and for moving forward again? Mm-hmm. And I'll just say that, I mean, I like what you're saying about the manna being the same for everyone, enough for everyone. That, of course, is it's not that everyone gets exactly the same amount. They get what they need mm-hmm. in the day. Um, but I'm always struck by the rabbinic teaching that manna tastes like the thing everybody likes best. Oh. <laughs> that there's, you know, that's lovely. Your manner might be different from my manner. <laughs> um, but it is, there is some pleasure in it, which mm-hmm. is, of course, exactly what they are missing when they say it's despicable. But, you know, when you look at the description of it, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a delicate thing. It's a delicacy. Mm-hmm. Lovely. I don't think I've I've heard that uh, particular teaching before. I kind of I'm going to play with that idea a little bit. Um, Jerusha, you you said something that caught my attention and brought me back to verse four. Um, it says, "From Mount Hor they set out by way to the Red Sea." Um, maybe this feeling and and here are these 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 geographic markers. Um, Maybe even a feeling of like we're going backwards, like mm-hmm. we're not actually making progress. That they've come from the Red Sea through the Red Sea and they're going back to the Red Sea, or at least adjacent to the Red Sea, um, and how that often feels, you know, you know, in in in, in climate conversation, that often feels like we're 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 back where we started, and maybe even somewhere worse. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and even after, I mean, I also think it's interesting, just before this, they have a victory, and it kind of mm-hmm. thinks, ah, finally, we're going to move forward, and then, <laughs> no, we're kind of going to go back again. And, um, I mean, I, you know, the geography is is more symbolic than actual, right? But but yeah, there's yeah. This, there is this sense of return, and not yet, mm-hmm. not yet, mm-hmm. we're still waiting. And, um, yeah, there's, I, I mean... If there would be something that would take something, and Ellen, I think this is so wise that you said, something actually pleasurable, something that is actually designed very carefully to your taste uh, by a loving God, and to make me frustrated enough to say, oh, this every day, Mm. (laughs) you know, and and to despise grace in that process. Wow. Wow. Um, I, I mean, that, that feeling of, meaninglessness lack of direction lack of lack of trust a lock a loss of trust in god's character and provision that might do it and 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 it's interesting to me how seriously god takes this Mm -hmm. um you know normally when they complain they complain against moses this time they complain against god and moses and there's there's like this i mean god's like no no actually this is you got to get this you've got to get this <laughs> you've got to know you, you've got to at least be able to see yourself 
mm-hmm. and face um, the hardness that has come into your heart, or we we aren't going to be able to do anything together. Yeah, and right. you can't really relate to this creation I've given you to relate to mm-hmm. in this. Um, As your hope will wither. Even, even the gift of manna, the miraculous gift, will will seem loathsome to you. As you're speaking about this, it's reminding me, I happen to be reading numbers right now with my doctoral students. And in chapter 14, um, the God says, describes at length the death of everybody 20 years and older in the wilderness. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. in no uncertain terms, your carcasses will drop in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to see yourself clearly, but and maybe this part speaks to us. You have to see yourself clearly and you have to get over yourself mm-hmm. because the future in the land is not yours. Uh-huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. your children, the children yeah. that you say they're just going to be spoil, war beauty and booty in the wilderness. No, I'm going to take them to the promised land. But you, you're going to die. Yeah. Mm. And, 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 you know, you could say the reason for the circuitous route is we've got to kill time here, so to speak, until all these, until all these people die. You know, we could go on, but well, what are we going to do when we get there? It's not, you know, uh, we can't enter yet because that generation has to pass away. Uh, that, that would be difficult, especially mm. if you were in the pass away generation mm. to have... Uh, uh, you're never going to have anything but manna the rest of your life. Uh, mm. So there's nothing much to look forward to. Mm. Must have been difficult. Mm. So taking all of these things that have been said um, into account, where is there a call to action here for the church? Uh, I'll I'll start with... Um, just a story about an art installation that um, uh, an artist named Olafur Eliasson has has done in various urban centers called Ice Watch. Ice Watch, mm. and he has taken um, sort of melting blocks of ice from glaciers uh, in the Arctic Ocean that are currently melting. And he has moved them, these giant pieces and blocks of ice. You can look up this on Google and see the photos to areas outside of art museums or in urban centers. And he asks people to watch them melt. Mm-hmm. So you come in and you, you, t- you can touch the ice. You can get close to the ice. You can see the ice melting on the floor, the ground. And of course, um, it, it has been melting this whole time. It's just now you have to see it. You have to get close to it. And, and I feel like um, that might be one of the calls to the church is helping give our people courage and directing our vision to see the damage we have done. I think that's a huge, for preachers in particular, who are, you know, are coming to think about this passage in relation to, the, to their preaching work in Lent, um, this passage opens up powerful opportunities to look at the pain of 
climate disaster. Why is it happening? <laughs> and what would it mean to change, to be healed? How long do we have to look? It's a striking thing. I believe this, you know, the book of numbers does not appear in the lectionary very often. I think it occurs three times. Mm. Um, and so the, this occurs, this, um, this very challenging passage occurs in Lent, I think is really telling. Um, so really, again, just summarize what we've said. I would say that the message is repent, mm -hmm. which is to say, look at yourself, Koram Deo, in the presence of God. Um, look to God's judgment, take that reality seriously. Trust to God's victory. Um, and move toward a future knowing that the future is not yours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, 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 that last point is significant. Uh, very significant. I'm reminded of um, for those for those who have been uh, engaging with Creation Justice Ministries over the last year. Or so reminded of my friend Talitha's book in Deep Waters, um, which is about spiritual conversations about climate change with young people. And um, we did a webinar together, and we had a conversation about her book. And she talks a lot about how hope for the young people that she was working with at the time um, is not hope about things getting better. And this is this is you know a group of teenagers, and they're they're saying hope isn't about things getting better. Hope is about how do we care for each other in the midst of the disasters that are present and the disasters that are to come. Hmm. And I just think of that in terms of this story of what is what is hope when the snakes are still biting you? What is hope when the ice caps are still melting, when the forests are still burning, when the tides are still rising? It's it's, you know, one, it's being clear-eyed about the fact that these things are happening. We we have to we have to look up. And it's also though, it's about, I, I I would imagine the like helping other people look up, you know, helping the community to look up, helping being aware of those who are being bitten, um, being being attentive, being ex, uh, more attentive to those who are being bitten. Um, and that hope isn't, you know, hope isn't a, necessarily about us being on the other side, because to the point that's been made, um, we not we may not be around to see the other side of the climate crisis. And right now, it feels like the chances are good that we won't be around to see the other side of the climate crisis. But we have people to tend to, people who are being bitten in the midst of, of it that need to be attended to. And we need to care for them and help them and walk alongside them and accompany them. I also, um, I would add something to that picture mm. of, of hope, Ellen, and it's the point that you 
brought up um, about how they kept going. Um, something happened in this very disturbing story. <laughs> These snakes and the looking and the looking to the bronze serpent and that whatever healing happened there that allowed them to keep walking. And, and I, I wonder what kind of transformation happened in them as a people, what it is they learned, what it is they owned about themselves and about this God that allowed them in this in this um, challenging wilderness to say, no, we can keep going. Because I, I think maybe that was the danger of when your misperception is so off <laughs> about the miracle and about that, the, the, the danger is that you just give up, you stop. Yeah. And and there is something in this, even, even in the struggle, like there is a, there is a reorientation and a healing of your heart um, that is possible uh, that, that allows them to move forward. And um, wow. I mean, it's, it's hard medicine, but it's, it's the medicine of the cross too. I mean, when we look to the cross, the cross is not a, um, it's not magic <laughs> for all of our talk of healing of the cross and the power in the blood. It is also this meditation on our sin and on our failings. And, and I mean, the great hope of the cross is that it might change our hearts. And, and I think there is something similar happening here um, in, in allowing us then to move forward move toward life uh, i i hadn't no i hadn't noticed it before but i i'm going to put in a plug for the people here behaving better than they might be otherwise thought to. uh verse six the, the the god sends the snakes and they bite people and they die verse seven moses has not uh, does not chastise them he does mm -hmm. not suggest anything there's no verbal message with the snakes the snakes come but immediately then in verse seven the people come and say, okay, we've sinned against you. We against messed God. that up. <laughs> yeah, we have sinned. Against, we got it. We understand. Mm. You get bit, bit by a snake once and you'll get the message right now. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we didn't, we messed up and we know it. Uh, and I think that's, that's, I mean, I, I wouldn't make a whole big deal out of that, but that's pretty, that is not in character with them elsewhere in uh, mm. the wilderness wandering that they so quickly acknowledge, recognize without being told. Uh, what they what they've done wrong. I, that's that's perceptive in ways that surprise me of this murmuring people uh, <laughs> how they behave that way. Yeah. Would that the church would be that quick to recognize mm -hmm. why that we're being bit and why. Two things come to my mind. One in response to your comment, Derek, you know will we we may not see the other side of the climate crisis there may not be in historical time another side mm. the other side and and you know in in biblical time um there isn't in this world another side <laughs> to the crisis mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know the um the hebrew bible ends again the people in exile and it ends let us go up that's the end of the book of chronicles 
you know, let's try again to go up to the promised land. But the journey is always happening. And I think as I've been listening, I've been replaying in my mind a statement that Stanley Hauerwas made to me, probably goes back seven or eight years to a discouraging political moment in this country. And he said, well, now at least we know what the church is for. Oh. Now oh. at least we know what the church is for. Oh. And maybe that's something that we can help um, our students think about. Mm. It's not mm. for, it's mm. not for our um, immediate benefit perhaps, but it is for learning to help each other um, in a time that's likely in likely to remain difficult. Mm -hmm. That feels like a good place to stop. This was this was a hard one, and um, I I appreciate um, the wisdom and the insight, and fully engaging in the the difficulty of this passage. And I I hope that preachers will fully engage in the difficulty of this passage, because I I feel like that's what the it's what the church needs, and this, and and if not in Lent, then when? Although so, although De although Derek, I'll, I'll be honest with you, most of the preachers I know of are going to, if they take this text, they'll jump straight to John. Uh, uh, might read this text in background, but won't won't exegete it or struggle with it at all. They'll go well, straight to they'll go straight to Jesus. That's well, your joke. I, I'm, I think the invitation here is to hang out in the wilderness a little bit. That's right. That is exactly, <laughs> that's exactly right. I would so just mention you. that David Stubbs' commentary on numbers in the Brazos series, the Brazos Theological Commentary on the Bible, it's an excellent commentary. And he reckons with the numbers text and its Christian interpretation, including mm -hmm. John in very thoughtful ways wonderful again thank you all for this conversation and um appreciate all of the all of the words of wisdom and insight that you were brought to it uh it was an honor for me thank, thank you thank, thank you Thank you for joining us for the Green Lectionary Podcast. This episode was produced by Sprocket Wagner, and the music was provided by Christian McIver. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word with a good review. Leave us a comment and let us know how you use the show and how we can make it more useful for your ministry. You can learn more about this and other programs of Creation Justice Ministries at creationjustice.org. Our story comes alive within these pages For every time and place throughout the ages God speaks and is heard in the enduring word Calls us to care for our world as we share the love That can set creation free 
restoring the earth to wholeness, peace, and harmony. Let the songs of the water, land, and sky resound, cause together we're all bound. Within these pages, there's always new life to be found.